day because I believe that the Lord is saying something. He's saying it not only with his words and not only with his word, but he is saying it in what is happening. He is saying it with the circumstances. He's saying it with the move of his spirit in this place. And I pray that it is happening in your life as well outside of this place. I believe that if we can, if we can do it here, that's the first step. Then we do it out there and God will bless that and we'll take it to the next level. I'm excited to preach about joy today. We're in our core values series. We've been doing it for the past couple of weeks. We do this every October now. We used to kind of happen once a year somewhere. We've decided October is the best time. I don't know why, but I, I believe that it's always good to return to our core, return to the fabric of who we are, and talk about those values that we, that we build from. Last week, Pastor Steve uh, dealt with generosity. In the first week, we dealt with transparency. I believe transparency is foundational for all of them. I think that if you can be transparent, if you can adopt that one, then the rest come a lot easier. I preached that last year. It was very easy for me to preach. I, I thrive in transparency. I even thrive in uh, brutal honesty, which is very, um, a very dangerous tool. But I think if you can thrive in, trans, in transparency, you can, you can get the rest of them. At generosity, Pastor Steve last week talked about multifaceted generosity. Do you remember? That it's not just treasure, but it's time and talents. And when we give freely, it unlocks abundant life, the life that God has promised us. And I, I, I'm not as great with generosity, um, but I understand how to practically put things into place. I know how to, I'm, I'm fortunate to have some very generous friends here in this room who teach me constantly the value of generosity. But today, we get to joy. And I have to be honest with you, church, that this is the one I feel <laughs> the least equipped and least prepared to speak on. In the past couple of months, I've shared in group, I've shared with, with close friends that I've been in a season that I don't think I've ever been in. A season where there was a lot of doubt, there was a lot of uh, questions about identity for me, uh, a, lot of, a lot of worry and, and anxiety that I never dealt with before. So I don't think, hear me, I don't believe in coincidence. I don't know if you do, uh, maybe in small things, but I don't believe in coincidence and things like this. I think that God was preparing the way. And I have a message for you this morning that I think is going to uh, make all the difference if you will let the word of God sink in to you. I think that um, in this season of excruciating uh, mental and emotional anxiousness, I, I, I can only see the solution in this core value. And I'm, you're, we're going to get there. Why? And I, I can hear the, I hear the protest. I, I know what you're thinking. Now, Pastor Clay is going to say, oh, just be joyful, and it will get rid of all your problems. Come on. If that was the message, we wouldn't even need to spend any time on it. I'm not going to give you good vibes. I'm not going to tell you to post positive things on social media. I'm not going to tell you that you just need to think happy thoughts until they become true. I don't think that's productive. But I believe it all does come down to joy. 
And we must take care of how we talk about joy, especially in the context of our core values. I want you to understand me, church. In this context, joy is not emotional. It is not fleeting. It is not temporary. Joy is not happiness. No, today I want to present joy to you as three things. I got a lot of lists. I don't normally preach like this, but I have lists today. I want you to write them down. If if you want to, I think that would be prudent. Today I want to present you joy as, number one, a gift that God alone can give. And number two, he does so most often, I'm not going to say 100% of the time, but I'm going to say 99% of the time, he does so through challenging circumstances where, number three, we must step up and do the right thing. Now listen, I'm not preaching to you works-based salvation. Salvation is you accept Jesus, it's one and done. You are saved. I'm talking to you about discipleship. I'm talking to you about the rest of that process. Let's look at the most perfect example that I can think of. Hebrews chapter 12. Go with me if you will. If you have a Bible with you, that's fantastic. If you have an iPhone or an Android, that is also fantastic. Because guess what? It has the Bible on it. If you have prepared and downloaded the app. See how that works? Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 1, it says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before us endured the cross despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Now that, Hebrews always jazzes me up. If it don't get you going, I don't know what to tell you, but spend some more time with it. But Jesus accomplished his mission on earth. Why? For the joy that was set before us. Not for himself, for us. He knew that this was the Father's plan to make things right with humanity. Only God could do it. Only God could see it through. The circumstances were, they were pretty dire. They were pretty extreme. Humanity was in a place where they were losing all semblance of true faith. A decaying, faithless society stuck to their legalism for those who believed in God and stuck to their paganism and indulgences and excess for those who didn't believe in God. I don't know, does that sound familiar to you? If not, scroll through Twitter for about five seconds. And I think you'll see this is not too different from where we are today. I think that that is why it is such a pertinent message And Christ had to endure dreadful punishment, even to death. And understand, the physical part of that is is very extreme. Christ endured a, a terrible way of dying physically. 
But perhaps the more excruciating part of that was that he took on the sin. He who had no sin, who knew no sin, took on sin for us. We cannot fathom the amount of pain. Yet, he never wavered, he never conceded, he never got lazy, and he never fell into sin while he was here. He stepped up, you hear me? He did the right things, he completed the mission, and he secured the joy, not for us, not for himself, but for us. So let's define, let's define our core value. We've set the stage. Our core value here at Cornerstone, joy. We believe that joy is essential to successful kingdom living. It is the source of our strength to endure the hardships of life. It's a unique core value here at Cornerstone. You can act transparently, right? You can do generous things. The other two values are, are connection and reaching. You can connect with others intentionally. You can reach out and meet needs. But you can't just do joy. All those other values have concrete actions that exemplify that value, that you operate from those values. And there are joyful actions. There's praise, there's celebration, there is laughter and exhortation. There are joyful actions. But I don't want you to just act joyful. I want to posit today that the central part of this core value is that we must act in a certain way in certain times to get joy. Not from joy, but to get the gift of joy rather than the other way around. I don't want you to act joyful. I want you to be joyful. We, we tracking? We tracking? Everybody makes fun of me for saying that. And my father says that. He teaches and he always says, we tracking? I just want to. We define joy as necessary strength, not optional strength. The necessary strength to be successful in the kingdom. But just like natural strength, you do not obtain strength once and for all. When you go, listen, my man TJ, when you go to the gym, you start lifting, you don't get to a certain point and go, I've done it, I have all the strength, I've acquired it, it's done for. If you go home and lay on the couch, bro, you're going to lose that strength, right? If you never go back, if you never work on it, the strength will decay, it must be maintained. Turn with me to Romans chapter 15. Verse 13 says this. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. Here's the key phrase. In believing. So that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. There it is. God gives joy in what? Our believing. Our belief. Our active belief. And the phrase in believing is pretty broad. And it includes all the aspects of discipleship. And salvation, again, is one and done. But our process of growing in belief is never finished. It is a lifelong commitment to continue to cultivate and grow that belief. So then, you can't just simply acquire joy. 
as though you can walk in to the store and get it off the shelf and walk out with it after paying for it. You can't go to Amazon and order it and get here in two days prime shipping. Be great, but it's, that would devalue it, trust me. How do we do it then? How do we get to joy? I believe it all comes to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. The big three, faith, hope, and love. When we cultivate the big three, only then will we gain the joy from the Lord and that will become our underlying strength that you must maintain. We'll start with faith because like transparency, I believe it's foundational to the others. Cultivating faith. How do we cultivate faith? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. It's on the wall right there. It's there for a reason because this is the constant reminder of how to cultivate faith. It's Romans 10, 17 if you're curious. Write it down somewhere that you can see it all the time. You have to, here's, here's number one. Here's how to cultivate faith. You put yourself in a position to hear the truth. It should be quite apparent that we care about this at Cornerstone. We, we do service every Sunday where we preach the truth. We do multiple weeknight streams that you are free to access and listen and hear the truth. We've got podcasts and YouTube videos and these dumb Instagram stories that I do on Tuesdays that I don't feel comfortable doing, but I, I just want as many opportunities out there for you to hear the truth. I want to make it as accessible as it can be. We do it because we want people to hear the truth, the word of Christ, so that real faith can then arise. If you're not tuning in, your excuse cannot be Cornerstone doesn't have enough content. That can't be the excuse. But here's what I believe is causing us and the world at large to, to the most trouble. This is what, what the issue really is. We are tuning in to something. We are hearing something. Problem is, we're tuning in to just about everything except the word of Christ. So, if you are struggling with your faith in Jesus, if you're struggling with cultivating faith, if you're struggling with being faithful, listen to me. You need to cancel the opportunities to hear lies and meaningless words. Your action of tuning in to the truth must also be backed up with tuning out of the garbage. All right, this is the part that I'm, I didn't want to do because this one's going to hurt me too. You ready? Please stop with, I don't get anything out of that sermon. Please stop with, man, the weeknight streams on Facebook, it's just weird. It doesn't do anything for me. Or this is the one that really, I'm not getting fed. Please stop doing that when your screen time measures five hours a day on social media. I don't want to hear it. I'm talking to me. I actually looked at mine. You know you can look at it. They have it now where it measures everything you do. Five hours average on garbage. 
And it's not all sin. Don't, don't misunderstand me. You don't have to be going, you know where I'm talking about. You don't have to go there for it to be wrong. It is spending meaningless time on things that are not the word of Christ. It will drain you of your faith. That's aimed at everybody, and it's for everybody, and it's for me. It's time to log out and grow up. We also have to stop with, I don't know why this keeps happening to me. I don't know how I ended up here. I'm telling you. I've said it. you got to stop saying that stuff when you're the one making the plans. Listen, we have forfeited true faith in our growth because we have become complacent. The lost art of being intentional is costing us a higher price than we ever could have imagined. If you don't believe it, open your eyes. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. I know that was rough. Let's go to Scripture. Maybe that will bring some energy. Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And and the God of peace will be with you. What a promise and what a challenge. We have to replace the toxicity with these things. As you remove those bad habits, behaviors, you will find yourself with more time. Listen, freeing up your schedule is not enough. If you take the bad out and leave space, the enemy will fill it with something. Or you will fill it with something else. Do not scrub it clean and leave it blank. You must replace it with these things. Idle people become busybodies. And busybodies are disruptive. If you don't believe me, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. It's a lot of scripture, isn't it? It's good for you. Starting in verse 6. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor do we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we work day and night that we may not be a burden to any of you. Verse 9, it was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. We like that phrase. We like it. We like to pull it out of there and apply it to people we're upset with. But we, we stopped applying it to ourselves. That's how we got in trouble. 
For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Verse 12, now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. You must be intentional about what you put into place. If you don't make it a point to give godly things priority, then something else, something else, what I want you to hear is something worse will take its place. And and the wording is so specific. Practice. There are going to be practice points in the rest of this sermon. If you're taking notes, write down what we're practicing. How do you practice? You actually put it in your schedule. That's not revolutionary, but anything you don't write down doesn't get done. Unless you're doing it right then. And even then, I'm very guilty of going, yeah, Pastor Shane, we're going to do that. And three days later, I'm like, what were we going to do? Because it didn't get put on the schedule. Put it in your phone. Let's leverage it. Let's, okay. It leads us to all the toxicity. Leverage it and let it lead you to Christ. Put it in there as a reminder. Meditate on those things from Philippians 4. It takes initial effort and it takes repetition. We don't expect anything else to happen without repetition. You realize that. Why do ball teams practice multiple nights, multiple days? Now, sometimes, Clint's shaking his head, sometimes it doesn't come out on the, on the field on Saturdays. But they practice over and over and over because it's the only way to keep that strength. It's the only way to get it in your head that this is the right way to play. The Holy Spirit is attracted to this effort. These actions invite God into our closest circle. Not only will will true faith arise, but so will that which we are all in desperate need of, peace. You want peace? I mean, you can acknowledge that. Do you want it? Do you really want it? I mean, I'm in a place where I'm desperate for it. And the world is too. They know the facts of God by and large where we live. They know what we're going to say. Jesus did this, and he did this, and this. they know that. What they don't have is the peace of God because we are not being the best examples. Remember 2 Thessalonians 3. When you find yourself, after all this practice, full of faith and at peace, then, only then, can hope arise. Number two of the big three. Cultivating hope. How do we cultivate hope? Well, how do you gather it in other places? I'm going to go back to sports because I just can't help it. It's that time of the year when I have to preach in the fall. It's coming to football. You know that. Here we go. 
How do you cultivate hope in the things that don't really matter? I'm a Florida State fan. I think about Florida State in the year 2013. And when they are just terrible on Saturday, I go, man, you remember when we didn't lose a game? You remember when we just ran it up on everybody and they had no hope of winning? You remember when we completed it and crowned it with a national championship? It happened before. It can happen again. That is cultivating hope. We do it with stupid things. We have to do it with the truth. If I can analyze the breakdown, I can plot out the rebuilding process. Think of the times when you were hopeful. Think of those seasons of life where you were, you felt like, man, I'm just, we're, we're rocking. It's going. Think of those seasons, not, God, can we go back there? God, give me another one. Give me another season like that. Cultivate the hope. What disciplines did you have in place in those seasons? I think a lot of times if you look back and think of when you were the most hopeful, you had things in place to keep you close to Jesus. If you're really honest, those things break down over time. The world is pulling you away. We have to maintain. What steps were you actively taking to make that season a good season? Who were you around? It's a big one. What were you listening to? If you've never felt or had hope, then I want to invite you to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. Because when you do that, you experience hope. It gives you hope like never before. Genuine believers know what hope feels like because there's no way to truly experience Jesus without experiencing hope. So think of those times. Many times we feel hopeless because we have neglected the sacred process of taking inventory. But that's just a tweet-worthy quote unless we tie it to the spiritual reality. Hopelessness really blossoms out of the fertilizer of forgetfulness. We forget what God did. We forget how he came through. We forget the good word we were hearing. We forget the things we had in place to keep us on the right track. And listen, that's not condemnation. That happens to all of us and will continue to happen to all of us. The world is sick, it's dying, it's broken. It has been for a very, very long time. But we can't blame it on that if we're not willing to put any effort into it. We forget God, we forget who he is, what he's done before, what he's doing now. I can't tell you how many times we've had a moment like we had today during Fresh Wind, during Never Fail, and I walk out the door, and something happens, and I immediately forget. Let me tell you, right now, it's this broadcast, okay? It has been this broadcast for months. It's very hard. I was talking with some of our team today. It's very hard to do it well. And it continues to have issues, and I don't know why. But I can't tell you how many times that has, that has robbed me of joy because I forget what God did because I'm focused on trying to fix the issues. And I'm not even fixing the right thing. I'm, I, it's me that's the problem. 
So, for you who are taking notes, how do you cultivate hope? You remember, you cultivate faith by putting yourself in a position to hear. You cultivate hope by remembering, remembrance. You need to remind yourself of when God came through and answered before. If he did it before, if he did it for them, he can do it for you. We can refer to our earlier verse in Romans 15. He is the God of hope, and it is by the power of the Holy Spirit that we may abound in hope. But remember, he's a gentleman, like we said. He does not make it happen. You surrender, and it happens. Remembrance of God's righteousness righteousness will lead us to righteousness. This is key to having hope. Proverbs 10, 28 says, The hope of the righteous brings joy. But the expectation of the wicked will perish. The Bible is full of calls for its readers and listeners to practice remembrance. Israel was constantly, consistently reminded, God took you out of Egypt through the wilderness to where you were supposed to go. How many times? If you read it, it comes up almost like clockwork. The Apostle Peter made providing reminders his entire M.O., okay? He opens his second letter with this call to virtuous godly living like we've been talking about. And he explains why he's writing at all. 2 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 10. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder since I know that putting off my body, the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Peter's firsthand experience with Christ, he was there through it all, gave him an incredible stock of memories to pull from. He knew the value of recalling what the Lord had done. He saw Jesus recall the Father's deeds, and then he was able to recall Jesus' deeds. He was there. He passed that on to his initial readers, and he passes it on to you as well. In other words, use your Bible. I don't know. I, I, I even hesitate. Even I was like writing this down, and I was like, man, am I really going to say read your Bible? Well, yes, I am going to say it because I don't think we are. Not nearly as much as we ought. Knowing what it is. If you're having trouble hearing God, try reading him. He already put some things on the paper that remain true, the living word. Read it. Reference it. When God seems silent, go there prayerfully. Do not go there for justification for ridiculousness. 
It's a weapon, you know. It calls itself a weapon. The sword. Do not swing it wildly around people who cannot handle it. Do not fall on it in self-righteousness. It's a powerful, powerful weapon. Keep it sheathed. Use it well. Know when to draw it. And when you draw it, as my dad would say, don't draw it till you're ready to use it. Sometimes God isn't withholding from you. You ever feel like that? God, why, why aren't you speaking to me? You're withholding something from me. I need, I need you to, to say something to me. This season is crazy. I need, I need you to say something. And God's going, for y'all listening on the podcast, I just slapped my Bible. He already said it. Sometimes we just need to go to what he already said rather than looking for him to say something new. We love new. I love new. There's nothing more fun than opening up brand new Apple products. It's just an exhilarating experience to peel that little plastic off. But you don't need new all the time. I think God is calling us to go to the old, to the ancient. Let me give you another example of how to remember. Let's, let's go to Mary, the mother of our Lord. She found herself in an impossible situation. And maybe I'm just excited for Christmas, so I couldn't help but go here. An impossible, an extraordinarily stressful situation, being told you are about to birth the Lord. But God was working and he was speaking, so she chose to react this way. Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 1, verse 46, we're going to 55. I want you to listen to this, and then I want you to try and pray this in your situation. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. Remembrance. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And there are other prayers. This one it just really hits me the right way. Take it. Use it. It is not, it's not there for you to just read. It's there for you to pray. Hannah in 1 Samuel prays one. Isaiah has several prayers throughout that are similar. Use these as models of maintaining remembrance. When you remember rightly, it recalibrates your hope gauge. If you feel hopeless, try remembering. When you are full of hope because you remember who God is, and God is what? Love. You can begin to cultivate love at a high level. 
So number three, we're cultivating love. Cultivate faith with what? Hearing. Cultivate hope with what? Remembrance. We're cultivating love with investment. I don't know if you were expecting that or not. But investment. Invest yourself in what you do and in those you encounter. The greatest of these is love, but that doesn't mean love is the only one we can focus on. We have to think of it as the pinnacle, if you will. You do faith, you do hope, you get to love. You get all three, you get to joy. It's unfortunate, it's really unfortunate that we have bastardized the meaning of love. Because we've taken it and made it flippant. Listen, I love I love chicken wings. What I mean is, I really enjoy eating chicken wings because they taste good. I'm not saying you can't say that anymore. I'm just saying think a little harder about what we say we love. Let's not make it unsacred. It's a sacred thing. As a society and as a church, we've done this. We've diluted love down to the point where we use that phrase so flippantly, we can rarely experience it in its truest sense. But nevertheless, if we work through the process in the right order, we can arrive at a place where we actually live out the greatest commandment. Now, let's examine a passage we all know and love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This is where we started. This is where we're ending. Starting in verse 1. We're reading the whole chapter because it's worth it. It says this. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all the mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and I deliver my body up to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Verse 4, love is patient and kind. It does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now, faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is Love. We look at this chapter. We know it. We, we quote it. We think about it. We, I mean, maybe you got it memorized. 
faith and hope are incomplete without love. So before I said maybe we think of love as the pinnacle, but I think what we really should say is that a proper understanding of love is not necessarily the peak, but it is, it is the peak, but it's also what should undergird the rest of it. It is at the same time the top and the foundation, meaning that it flows all the way in between. Living a life defined by love is simultaneously the most basic and the most fulfilling experience a disciple can have. What does faith do? It bears all things. It's long-suffering. It believes all things, faith. It hopes all things, hope. It endures all things, perseverance. So how do we practice? Here it is. Love's existence at all implies a relationship. So you practice in your relationships. For the purposes of examining our core value of joy, we're talking about living in healthy relationship with God, but also with other believers. You cannot have joy without God, and you cannot have joy in isolation. Hear me. Wherever you're at. If you have retreated away from those that you know love you, if you've retreated away from those who call you to a higher standard, if you have retreated away from those who would surround you and support you, you are being drained constantly in isolation of the love that makes all this possible. You have to put yourself in a position to love other people and let them love you. Love implies a relationship. You cannot have joy without God, and you cannot have joy in isolation. We practice by investment. We invest who we are and what we have into those around us. That means family. I know that's hard. Trust me. That means friends. That's usually easier for us. That means other Christians. I know that's hard. I know. That means those who we would call church goers. Maybe we're not so sure about disciples, but they go to church. I know that's hard. That also means non-believers, Republicans, Democrats, dogs, gators. I just can't help it. Yellow jackets. Practice these things, church. Patience, kindness, being humble. Get rid of your arrogance, your rude behavior. Don't get irritable and resentful. Rejoice with the truth. The avenues that we have here at Cornerstone for that are groups and teams. I can't help it. I have to tell you because we set the systems up to help you live the abundant life. Groups and teams. You want to practice love? Get in a group and be vulnerable. It works. I don't, if you don't like it, I don't care. It works. I don't like taking medicine, but it works sometimes for what you need. This will work. Try it. Teams, we got a lot of stuff we need to do. Talking with the team this morning. 
There's a lot of, there are a lot of elements to church that we didn't used to have. We're, we're in a new season, a new age where we have to adapt to reach well. It needs a big team of people who are not only skilled, but who are willing. Get involved in a place where people are becoming vulnerable and, and, and with one another, and you will watch how love becomes paramount. Get in, getting involved with, the, with making things happen for God's people, teams, see how your heart will begin to beat for the people. Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians 14 to command readers to pursue love. That's an action. That's a dedication. That's a commitment, pursuit. It means it doesn't happen automatically. It doesn't come to us easily. And that's not a jump for joy kind of message. But we've done enough jumping around trying to convince ourselves we are joyful people. The bank can get ready. So you can create core values. You can adopt the ones Cornerstone has. You can try to live a life that's transparent, generous, connected, and focused on reaching others and still be without joy because you are without love. It is love that drove God to create us, to bear with us, and ultimately save us. It is that same love that he has placed within us that will drive us to live purposeful, value-based lives that glorify him and draw others to do the same. So I want you to stand with me, if you will. We're gonna, we're gonna sing Never Fail again. It's gonna be a, a nice time of worship, but I, I want us to, before we, before we sing, I want us to stand, and I want you to pray Psalm 16.